0: Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich.
1: And I'm Olivia Kane.
0: And welcome to the Weekly Typographic.
1: A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week.
0: Hi Olivia!
1: How's it going?
0: I'm in a very good mood today and I feel like you're a little stressed from from doing a lot of work.
1: I, I just, you know, it's like, it's good stress though. You know how there's good stress, bad stress? It's you, not stash, like, you stress
0: and de-stress stress, I think, right?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I oh. remember I was pretty blown in health class. Like my mind was blown in health class when I found out about the two different kinds of stress.
0: I, I just said de-stress and I definitely meant distress. De-stress is like to oh. unstress. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, hi everybody. We have some awesome links this week and we found some cool stuff and we're going to talk about some cool stuff too that I think is going to be neat and a little different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's our nerd alert. Our nerd alert is a real fun one. It is about the type classification system that has ruled our education for decades. It's called the Vox A-Type-I system. Micah thinks it's a very unfun name, which is why it's (laughs) not in the title of our episode artwork. But... I think it's a thing that we have taken for granted for many years and no one ever looks into, but people are looking into it and wondering if it's actually the best way to teach about typography. And I think there might be some big changes happening
0: in the future. Yeah, there's a little bit of drama behind it, which is going to be fun.
1: I'm really excited about our first link and it's from our friend Juan Villanueva and it is titled Typefaces as Cultural Objects. It's a very cool initiative that was started by Juan in order to give a spotlight to typefaces that are inspired by culture of Latin America. And I think that I haven't seen anything this much focus on one group in our culture, but I think it's great because... So much of typography is through this Western or European lens. And I think that there's lots of designers globally that are focusing on the culture that they're coming from and are making work based off of that. Latin America is a group of countries with great diversity within itself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to represent all of the visual landscape that's coming out of that region and for people to experience it. Uh, So it's basically a notion page, if you're curious a little bit about this. Initiative. It is managed and maintained by Juan, but you can add your own projects to the list. So it's basically works by people contributing their typefaces that they have created. There's plenty to look through. Well there's a small amount now. There's 11, but I think there's lots of plenty good information in there that I've never learned before about specific type designers working in the field and fonts. Like, for example, I didn't know Montserrat, which is included in this list, is inspired by a region in Buenos Aires called Montserrat.
0: I also and did not know that, if I'm honest.
1: That was like a that was pretty exciting to hear about the history of that from the type designer's perspective. And I know that's an open source font as well. So, and all sorts of stuff. There's a really beautiful font that's one of the first ones on this list, Ancho. And that was inspired by visuals within Mexican heritage and culture. And the designer themselves said, Hey, the style of design that usually represents Mexican culture can be so cheesy at times but there is so much beautiful stuff that's being overlooked and this is inspired by specific ancient pyramid sites and other you know visual cues of the culture and it comes out really beautifully it's called ancho so i definitely have to recommend you take a look at it
0: i think yeah it's it's this is a very cool initiative i think who else to do it than our friend juan of course he's been somebody who who has been really outspoken i think for people who don't get enough attention. And so that's awesome. And for for Ancho too, I really love the site for Ancho. We yeah. got to revisit our microsite love one of these days. We, we wrote that blog post yeah. like 30 years ago about great, cool microsites. And there's been so many cool ones since. And this is one of them
1: can't believe this typeface hasn't been on my radar. I think it's really unique. And I love to hear that it's been inspired by more traditional Mexican architecture and heritage. So, uh, so it's, definitely it's want making to me this hungry.
0: My, I'm very so hungry now that I'm looking at this.
1: That's a good microsite, you know. <laughs> so definitely check this out. And if you can contribute or know someone that belongs on this list, definitely spread the word because I think that is hopefully... This will just get passed along to different people to contribute. And there'll be a great little catalog here of a unique set of designers and typefaces.
0: Indeed, Aroni.
1: Speaking of microsites, our next (laughs) link is one intense microsite, guys.
0: I don't even think it's micro.
1: That's so (laughs) true. It is a full grown-up site that looks (laughs) like it was designed for very playful children. It is the microsite for grilly types, new typeface, Maru. Which, if you know really type, you'll know that they go all out on their microsites. Like, they have been for years. When we wrote that article, what, in 2017? I was like, oh my god, every single microsite that they did is beautiful. This is incredibly playful, and it is their new typeface base that's based off of signage seen around Japan. And it's all based off like the rounded letter forms that are seen on the signage. And there's lots of anthropomorphic vectors and uh, letters and illustrations seen throughout the microsite.
0: I think it is kind of neat some of the details that are illustrated in here. Like there's a certain point where you hover over a word and it shows you all of the measurements of a particular, like all the letter forms of word. That's neat. I'm a little confused why Switzerland keeps coming up. I guess just as a contrast to the playfulness of the signage in Japan. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think that is spot on. You know, grilly type is no really type. Are they Swiss or Swedish?
0: I don't know. That might explain Swiss. it though.
1: They are Swiss, so okay. because so. they're Swiss, coming from the Swiss tradition, they're probably like. We have this Swiss background, but look at us getting inspired by this other culture that is taking, taking things to a totally different world.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's goofy and the site is cool and interactive and it's variable. So there's sliders and animated things all over. Frankly, I, sometimes I'm like, like it's kind of hard to tell, like, it seems like, there's so much emphasis on little characters and stuff that actually aren't in the font that I'm like, oh, mm. what am I looking at here?
1: Yeah. No, there's a lot, and the font's really robust too. I mean, they show literally like all the different files you would get if you downloaded and bought this font. And you yeah, know, there's the regular Maru, which is a very typical more so rounded sans serif, beautifully done because it's really type. Then there's the mono. Okay. And then there's this mega. Which is like a jumbo fied version of the font where all the letter forms are really, really fat and the negative space is really, really tiny. And then there's a whole emoji set, both in color and black and white. It's crazy. I've, this is so much work.
0: I just accidentally hovered over a giant middle finger that's just flicking me. Oh my God.
1: I mean, this is like in general, you know, a lot of times when I have to do more holistic visual identities or layouts that you have to combine icons and type in a way that feels cohesive i mean this this is a very good example of like a very holistically unified jumbo family of design basically like the emojis feel very in line with the type which feels very in line with all the different weights of the type and the playfulness of it, it yeah it definitely check it
0: out there's, a, there's kind of an interesting subtopic here that just occurred to me in the mega subfamily, which is like their giant, goofy display version of this font. One of the sliders here is optical size. And I feel like optical size has come up once or twice mm. before in the past, but this is a really cool illustration of the point of optical size, which I only mm. recently understood, which is that optical size is designed to match font size and the smaller the font size the smaller the slider should be on the optical size and what that Mm. is usually like it's up to the designers of what that means but it's basically like in this instance it's a good illustration of bigger gaps wider negative space to make it easier to read when the font size is smaller and now that I know that I'm kind of like shoot as I'm sliding this it would be a much better illustration to reduce the font size as you Mm -hmm. reduce the optical size but it's still a neat illustration of what that is which is a tangent for sure but still like tiny tidbit of education
1: i mean i love that you bring that up there's a i know Ono Typeco, i love using their typefaces on adobe fonts and there's one called blaze face and actually when you activate a font instead of activating different weights of blaze face it's a very bold display kind of 70s vibe you activate different optical sizes so one weight to blaze face is 12 point another weight to blaze face is 36 points and those mm. themselves are recommendations for what type size to actually use this weight on
0: that's interesting
1: yeah so i love to see like people actually you know bringing a little bit more attention to that because I, I certainly don't think that that's uh, always been the in vogue and the case in the past
0: yeah and also final interesting note that i just noticed too uh is that at the very end of the site in the overview it says you know the typeface was designed by terry Blankpain, 2017 to 2021 that's wow four years right i'm not great at math but yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it. I mean, this microsite looks like it could have taken four years, but I mean, the extensiveness to it is incredible. I certainly want to see how this is going to get used. I'm curious uh, to see in the future where we see it and what applications they make a very playful and almost childlike site that's here. Like not in a bad way, just like the aesthetic is very much Japanese elementary school, but curious to see where it gets taken to and what context this uh, whole type family gets brought into. Totes. Very cool. Very, very cool. Our next one is a fun <laughs> interactive find. I have so many thoughts about this article. That's so good. I
0: remember you being excited about this one.
1: I wasn't excited. Steph wasn't excited.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Well.
1: But I'm still excited. But I just... I just have thoughts. Okay, so Microsoft is finally choosing a new default font. As most of us know, the default font for any Microsoft uh, software is Calibri and has been since 2007. I think that's also why many people hate Calibri is because they're so sick of seeing it. Like I know plenty of people that their first font they'll say that they hate is Calibri. And that's (laughs) probably because they see it literally everywhere. So I think it's very exciting. They've commissioned five different families to potentially be the new default font which I also love to hear. And in this article, they credit the type designers that worked on these typefaces that's that nice. are true. They're Yeah. And so that's it's obviously nice to give some credit to who's designing these. And they're all true workhorses. Like they're meant to be the default fonts. They're meant to be able to, you know, be typed out for pages and pages of all sorts of documents, whether academic or official. I'm sure we're going to be seeing this everywhere very soon, one of these five fonts. So, Microsoft's encouraging people to use their social media to vote for which font they want to see as the next default font, which is kind of fun. Curious if that's actually going to be put into consideration, but we'll <laughs> see. Okay, my major beef with this site is the specimens they show for this type. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, okay, how are we supposed so, to have
0: any idea what any of these look like?
1: Especially knowing the context is that this type is going to be used for people that sit on their computer and are opening up their you know, word processor program. That is like 90% of people with computers are probably using that at some point. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna be seeing lots of text, body text. This is all meant for body text. This is not meant for display sizes. Yeah, all of these specimens, they show these typefaces, the lowercase s really big, like two inches big on my screen or the lowercase a, and they only show like five or six actual characters from the typeface. And you get and nothing's typeset they're all like floating letters so you don't get any idea what this font is going to be like oh my god oh my god
0: It's oh very god. true. I thought the exact same thing I was like this is this is a weird fluffy piece for what you're asking for. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this and, and I thought maybe if I clicked and- on the images that I would get more visuals but no it's just just a larger version of the visuals. <laughs> it's tough.
1: I don't know if this article is meant for typographers and graphic designers because like, you know, they'd spend a lot of time actually describing the type classification, which we're going to get into later today, in the descriptions of these fonts and their inspiration as if they're talking to graphic designers and type designers. But it, it is confusing <laughs> thinking about how they're trying to, you know, crowdsource an answer here and that are using pretty high-level language and not giving a good view of what a typeface looks altogether. So I highly suggest you either download the families or I guess access the families because they're in the Microsoft cloud. So if you have uh, Microsoft programs, they actually should be downloaded onto your Microsoft program at this point. I haven't looked yet. Or if you go to Microsoft's Twitter, uh, tweet about this, there are people that are like, oh, my God, drives me crazy. How are you supposed to figure out what these fonts look like and have typeset some of the fonts out?
0: Oh, that's interesting because I don't see that linked in this article at all.
1: Yeah, so you, you have to go you to you the very bottom go. and you go to what's next at the bottom of the article. And there's a little hyperlink that says show us which you love best. Oh, and gosh. it links to the tweet. Yeah, and
0: okay, I didn't even think to Oh, so
1: Inefficient. That sorry i know this has not been about fonts but how we talk and display about fonts which was very frustrating to me in this article but nevertheless there are five fonts all designed by i didn't know all the designers but there are a few well-known designers that i knew tobias frere jones and his team nina stossinger and fred shellcross designed mm-hmm. a beautiful typeface i know i believe aaron mclaughlin also designed a typeface and yep. she's heavily involved with type weekend right. so i know her and that's all the type designers I knew, but there are plenty of talented people that were commissioned to work on this. Micah, if you can pull up the tweet, there are like just some, some people screenshot just what it looked like on their Microsoft.
0: I am um, so glad that you mentioned that because I would never have thought to click on that sentence at the bottom just because I'm not ready to share anything. So I, why would I click on it?
1: Just pro tip. You and know?
0: now I can see it and I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's one, Bierstadt feels a lot like DIN.
0: No, no, no. no. Grandview Grand feels like DIN, feels which like is DIN. interesting also because this is the first time I've ever learned that DIN is an acronym for German oh, industrial yeah. standard. I didn't know that. German, I'm sure, yeah. you know, Deutsch.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting to see that in the running. I feel like DIN was just like everyone's favorite 10 years ago. It's, it's not a still bad still my font.
0: favorite. What are you talking about? I still want to leak DIN. I love
1: it. I mean... It, it is great. It like feels a little bit more industrial, but I love that the evenness of the width of the letter forms, I think actually makes it really easy to read. And it's funny because when it's set in this little image, I'm looking now, it looks actually longer than the other typefaces, even though Din is kind of known for its little condensed vibe that it has, mm. but you know, maybe it's spaced out a little bit more to help with readability, which is also a component of fonts that should be used as default font which makes me so confused why they didn't show text in a line in this microsoft article yeah when spacing of the font is just as integral to the design of the letter forms and there's Skina, which looks a little bit more like an optima vibe which i believe mm. Skina was designed yeah i didn't know the designer but i was surprised to see that there because it feels like a little bit outdated but like i don't know maybe that's coming back uh <laughs> Tenorite gives me Avenir vibes. I like Tenorite. I'm a little bit more geometric. Lowercase A is in the italics, it's single story. I actually don't know what it looks like in the, the Roman, but that one's fun too. I think that one might be my favorite. How are you this feeling about It's a little these? tough.
0: I mean, so I'm looking at one of one of the images that somebody posted with paragraphs, and I could see either Bierstadt or Seaford being the pick. To me, Grandview, which is the din one, it's it's like too opinionated. Yeah, and yeah. Skeena, I agree, looks outdated. It also gives me Optima vibes. Opti- yeah. Optima, vibe, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Tenorite, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to put my finger on on what my issue is with it. I think I think maybe the x height is too big for it to be every everywhere you know the context right is what you're saying here is this is a font that basically is going to be everywhere and so I guess I guess that to me comes down to Bierstadt which I hope is how you say it and I don't think anybody's going to know how to pronounce that
1: yeah that that's also right i appreciate the integrity of a name of a font but it is tough when you know Univer is pronounced universe Helvetica Noia, Helvetica New. i hear this stuff all right. the time
0: right it's probably a foolish choice but i think bierstadt is probably what they're gonna go with but i think seaford would be classier choice
1: i mean i'd love to see because seaford's by the fair jones team yeah you know, i would love to see that legacy live on with for the next however many years we have this as the default typeface, but I just think it, I think Seaford is like
0: theory. too nice to, for design by committee like this. I don't I don't think that's what they're going to end up on. You know, just my like jaded yeah. experience in the in the history of design.
1: Well, Bierstadt's actually the closest to grotesque fonts, and therefore the closest to Arial, which actually in the end might end up making it the most readable for people because yeah. it is closer to Arial and Helvetica and you know, these are all very well-made fonts. Yeah. Any of them are great contenders. But go vote if you want your opinion heard.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating stuff here.
1: Very fun. Our next article is a silly little one that <laughs> will make you chuckle. And this is for Aberdeen. Standard Life Aberdeen now has a vowel-less brie brand that has been mocked. So <sighs> like so many other... Fun millennial brands, Aberdeen or Standard Life Aberdeen decided that their new name for their word mark is just A B R D N. They got rid of all the all the vowels, and people are just railing on them. So I believe they're an investment company, investment house. I believe they're over the UK because I have not heard of them here in the US. But their new logo looks very millennial and all over case very round letter forms. It's an, it's not unattractive. But yeah, it is it is an interesting choice for an investment company to go this with the trend, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean the the like Wikipedia description here is Aberdeen Asset Management was an international investment management group managing assets for both institutions and private investors from offices around the world. I think Aberdeen, I know I know the town of Aberdeen.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, it's in Scotland, so I think I've I've heard of the word, but not this like asset management company. Just because I don't know anything about that world. But I agree, it's kind of like with a description like that. (laughs) Like, why are you guys trying to be hip? Like, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, it's like one of those things. And I think actually we shared an article about trends from Bloomberg Opinion either last week or the week before, and they did mention like one of the tropes that a lot of these trendy new startups fall into is getting rid of all the vowels in their name to like seem like they are with the moment but Mm -hmm. then you have to think about is that the right move for the right company and for a company that just had a multi uh billion euro merger in 2017 seems like a strange move my favorite quote
0: there's a quote in here that i have to share that i just noticed
1: I think I was about to share it.
0: Speaking to Sky News, Mr. Bird, yeah, same quote, Mr. Bird defended the move, saying that it was not a lot of money to develop the identity and it would enable better investment. That's it's just like, wh- oh, so you're just bragging that it was cheap? Like, wh- what? What?
1: I think it's because so many people like go after brands being like oh they spent millions of dollars on this rebrand but he like takes this opposite position being like oh but we swear we didn't spend much money on it like I don't know but I feel like you're hurting everybody in that statement Mr. Bird and and I believe Mr. Bird is let's see I don't know.
0: I don't know where you're going with this.
1: He's the chief executive of Aberdeen. Mr. Burr is the yeah, chief okay. executive of Aberdeen. So
0: he was just so like. You can cut wait, back. guys, no, it's it's fine. It just it, it didn't even cost that much. It's fine. We got it at the dollar store.
1: Wild. Wild news. Fun Very times. fun. fun. Very
0: fun. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us.
1: Totally. And thanks, to to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get... Awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal, current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, guys, it is time for the Nerd Alert. Okay, all right. Micah. I was inspired for the start alert because I feel like I've seen people talk about the Vox classification, the Vox A type I classification system. And I was like, what even is that? I hear it being <laughs> thrown around by type designers on Twitter. And I'm like, I should figure out what this is. And if it's a type classification system, I should see what's up with it. Because in reality, how I relate to type-based classification is I don't think about the, the classifications we were taught in college very much. I even forgot mm. some of the classifications that existed, like humanist type. Mm. And Geralt is a classification that we I don't, don't use day to day at all. Just- also, grotesque versus neo-grotesque.
0: Giant question mark floating in the air.
1: Huge question mark. So... I want to think about how did we get to this classification system? What is the Vox A-Type-I classification system? Why isn't it just Vox? And what beef people have with it (laughs) and how it's going to change because it's changing. And our last article in the newsletter is actually about that change. So the Vox A-Type-I classification system, its origins start with Maximilien Vox, who was a French writer, cartoonist, illustrator art theorist and historian of typography. He was born in 1864. So we are back in history. And so that's Maximilian Vox. Then we have A-type I, which a lot of people might be familiar with in our audience. They were founded in 1957 by Charles Peignot from the French type foundry Deboni and Peignot. And the members of the organization are all from the typographic community. And it's mostly type designers, type boundaries, graphic designers, and typographers. And it's an organization that concerns themselves with type. It's so, profit, right? I believe so. I believe so. So, in 1954, Box, the guy we were just talking about, devises a type classification system. And it sounds like There were loose ones happening before that, but nothing that was really solid or being universally taught. And so he comes up with one based off of historical and aesthetic features. Then in 1962, it was adopted by A-Type-I and amended to kind of have a little bit more subcategories and add a few categories to what Vox created. And it was declared the Vox A-Type-I classification. 1967, adopted and modified by the British standards classification of typefaces. So what's generally, I believe, being taught in design school, what I was taught was a system that was devised in the 60s, basically. So if you're not familiar with some of these classifications, won't I rack your brain with some of the classifications? So in general, the Vox A type I system is divided into three categories. It's calligraphics, it's moderns, and it's classicals,
0: and there's and good again, visual examples of these on the Wikipedia page.
1: Yes. Oh, perfect. Exactly. And the classicals are your serif typefaces that were before Bodoni and Didone, so they actually kind of look like they're from a calligraphic nature. But this is your Garamonds, your Baskervilles, even transitionals included in this. And your classicals are humanist, Gerald. Which is, which will never speak in existence <laughs> in any type agency or studio, and transitional. So, you guys might be familiar with that. Then there's the moderns, which are the D-Done. So, anything like Dido or Bodoni, mechanistic, which is our slab serifs, and then lineal, which never would have guessed what this is. That just means sans serif. That just means sans serif. Oh my God. So, obviously, I think. When the box created the system, he didn't break these down into subcategories, but I think A-type I had to be like, hold on, we can't just have like sans serif as like just one classification. So they broke it up into grotesque, neo-grotesque, geometric, and humanist. Fun fact, according to this system, Helvetica isn't even considered grotesque. Helvetica is considered neo-grotesque, which is also just just like, what? I don't hear anyone ever tell me that Helvetica is a neo-grotesque, like, The system's old. The system is old. And I'm not going to go into details for every one of these. And then we have calligraphics, which is glyphic, which is what me and Micah called semi-serifs. So that's like type that looks like it's chiseled by a stone carver. There's script. There's graphics. So that's like hand-drawn kind of comic book brush pen typefaces. Blackletter and Gaelic was added, I think, semi-recently in 2010, 2010. Yeah. Yep, Very. yep, we just so you can imagine there's been controversy around this. And those are all the classifications that matter and should be taught in formal education. And might I mention that one other whole classification that A type I added was non-Latin, which includes basically all the writing systems that aren't the Latin alphabet, which is Greek, Cyrillic, Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, Korean. Like those are all in one category. Okay. Oh, yeah. The system is is just it's just not working. For the twenty-first, like if we move forward, and you know, it's it, like there's so much else out there. Even us talking about the the project type bases as cultural objects, seeing things being inspired by architecture and sign painting of certain heritages are just not going to be covered by the box AI system. So A type I totally has recognized this, and we included the article that is stating they are actually going to de adopt. The Vox A type I system and are working towards creating a system that more encapsulates like the diverse typefaces that are being designed um, today and not leave one group just to be called non-Latin and actually represent and give spotlight to other, other type styles that are out there. So I think that is kind of why it's been so controversial. I think a lot of people don't even use a lot of the naming conventions that are seen in here. There are names for Geralds and humanist type, which have very little differences between those. Yet all of the slab serifs that have ever existed are in one category. So that has been criticisms that have come up too, is that how, how is the system counting for nuances? And other people have criticized it for being like, What about display type? What about type that's not based off of characters of historical reference like type once was? So how do we include that in here? Yeah. So interesting because type classification really puts things into boxes and has been something that like, I remember having a quiz on these classifications in college and day to day, I can maybe talk about grotesque sans serif, geometric sans serif, and even maybe transitional type and stuff like that. But a lot of these characters Categories are really outdated and just like on these old conventions that don't exist anymore.
0: I do respect that they are recognizing that and saying they're going to, they're going to change their tune. That's cool. It's a little disappointing that it's basically like, yeah, we're going to start working on something different and that's it. You know, it's not like, Hey, we have specific ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm also just kind of shocked because I don't really use any classification system. I mean, I guess serif, sans serif, I guess it's really in a practical sense, I base my, my, fi- my font finding on the commercial products of how they categorize stuff is, is the mm-hmm. real answer. And mm-hmm. that's obviously not a unified system. Like Monotype has their, has their MyFonts filters and Google Fonts has their categories that they've come up with. And, and that's kind of it. And actually, I, I was once working on a type classification project using mm-hmm. math, which is crazy. Oh, we'll talk about that someday. And it basically came down to, oh, there's, there's actually like very few ways to discreetly describe type categories at all. Serif yeah. sans serif makes sense. Yeah, rounded makes sense. Other than that, I don't know. It's yeah. italic, kind of
1: tough. Yeah, italic
0: is this back italic? You know, there's there's pieces like that, but
1: there's rounded serifs, rounded sans serifs, rounded slab serifs. I think a type I allows for there to be combination of these classifications. But I mostly think that like this system, it's outdated. Let's recognize that. But mm. I do think that it. It is a good like historical overview because a lot of these categories were created from technology moving in the type world. So I think actually humanist and Garald type like comes from specific century and then transitional came when you're able to make more precise outlines of letter forms and therefore your brackets don't become so soft and you don't have letter forms based off of calligraphy. You're basing off of mechanistic grids and stuff like that. and So even looking at those classical serif categories, that tells you a little bit about type history. And even grotesque and neo-grotesque have to do with historical periods of when people ended up refining grotesque typefaces and making it more uniform in width and having less idiosyncrasies in the letter forms. And neo-grotesque is like a much more polished version of grotesque. And that only happened because people started using sans serifs, which wasn't happening for centuries. Mm -hmm. So the system is actually a pretty interesting overview of history in type and periods throughout it, but it's just not it for what realistically designers think about day to day. Right. So...
0: Well shoot, that's super interesting. I mean that was that was really cool because, you know, this this article popped up and it was an introduction to a whole chunk of history that I don't hear talked about a lot.
1: Yeah, well it's actually kind of funny because some of the Some of these terms are used in the Microsoft article, which is why I'm just like, this Microsoft article is not very approachable for non-design people. I'd also like to say that the Microsoft calls Helvetica grotesque, not neo-grotesque. So that is an example of like vocabulary evolving. But then, you know, then they also talk about neo grotesque when they talk about SKINA, which is just like, wow, I forgot what neo grotesques were until I read about Vox A type I. I don't know how the general public is gonna understand what neo grotesques are.
0: But that's the point. Like that's why that's why this whole crowdsourced type design thing is I think that's a foolish way to approach it.
1: Yeah. For sure. I, I do always forget about humanist sans serif, which I believe one I of the...
0: still have never learned what that really is. As many times as I look it up and relearn it, I just forget it immediately after.
1: It's tough. I feel like I just have to think about Gil Sans. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't feel super exact, perfect Helvetica has its own little quirks to it. So I guess that's that's my starting point, Mike That's what I got for you.
0: It's going to be interesting when they come out with some new ideas. We can talk about those and compare it to the old ideas.
1: I have one final note on this topic. Bringhurst, because I love talking about Robert Bringhurst and the mm. elements of typographic style. He confuses the heck out of me, and I feel better about this now because he like basically created his own categories in elements of typographic style, and that is confirmed by my research I just did, where it's like, yeah, Bringhurst doesn't even follow this classification. He just makes up his own. They're all based off of periods of art history. So I remember being like, oh, let me use some Rococo type. And then people being like, what the heck is Rococo type? <laughs> but his categories are broke, Rococo, and Romantic are just a few of them. Because he's just like, I'd rather focus on the art history. I'm Bringhurst. And he also never talks about display type. It's all about text type. But uh, fun fact in case Bringhurst is annoying or frustrating your type classification <laughs> mind
0: i would say in a way that that makes a little bit more sense
1: yeah i mean especially for his context that makes sense i'd have to read it again to see how he describes them all
0: and you know then the question is for everything after robert bringhurst how do we start describing those those categories
1: oh yeah oh yeah well we have a lot a lot to look into
0: like where does gt maru fit in
1: So fair. Where are we putting our rounded sans serifs? I don't know. Maybe it would be in the calligraphic because it's based off of sign painting. But none of the calligraphic categories in the box A Type I system really apply to to Maru GT Maru. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff.
0: All right. Well, shoot. Thanks for all that fun research. I feel like the Welcome. the true type nerds are going to appreciate all that all that history and insight.
1: I hope so. I'm curious if anyone knows anyone in A Type I working on the new system. Wanna leak some beats to us.
0: Uh, in the meantime, thanks everybody for tuning in yet again. And we will of course have more great stuff next week to share. So stay mm-hmm. awesome.
1: Yes. Do 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 do. do.